today on CityCast Denver. We are four days into the new year and there's so much going on in Denver already. From the busted Broncos to buses full of people showing up on our city's doorstep, me and producer Paul Caroli are ready to break it all down. Today is Wednesday, January 4th, 2023. I'm Bree Davies and this is CityCast Denver. Hi, Paul. Hey, Bree. Good to hear from you. Yeah, you too. It's nice to be back. It's been a while. Um, you know, it's 2023. We're thinking about what's happening in Denver right now. And and I, I think we wanted to just talk about a couple stories that caught our eye over the last couple of weeks and are ongoing and happening now. And Honestly, I could use the help sorting through all this stuff. There is so much happening. Totally. Because like we were talking about, you know, before Christmas break, for whatever that means for folks or holiday break, um, a lot of things are at a lull. There's not necessarily new legislation. We're not looking. This is sort of a, a lull time in general for, I think, most places. It's a time of respite. So, But we're coming back into it, and there's a ton of stuff to talk about. Um, I think we should talk about the most pressing issue for mm-hmm. Denver, the Broncos. Uh-huh. <laughs> I guess so. Yeah, for Whoa. a lot of people, it's it was pressing. They've had, uh, I mean, they've had quite a season, but it, the last couple of weeks has been um, exciting. I've been feeling schadenfreude over it. Yeah. Have you been watching? No, of course not. Because all I do is read the, <laughs> I just read the headlines about how bad it is. It's like when you want, yeah. it's like the, the schadenfreude is you're talking about the thing where it's like, mm, we knew it was going to be bad, so I'm going to watch it be bad, yeah. you know? Um, but really, what is what was the biggest news? Well, the biggest news is that the coach, Nathaniel Hackett, who they hired um, right before this season, um, he's out. They fired him. It was a one particularly embarrassing defeat, uh, 51 to 14 loss to the L.A. Rams and hmm. their backup quarterback, Baker Mayfield, who, by the way, the Broncos could have signed. Like he started the season on a different team and was just like released. Anyone could have signed him, but LA did. And he's been lighting it up for them and he destroyed the Broncos. So they fired Hackett and now they're in this sort of holding pattern of what to do. They got this interim head coach, Jerry Rosberg, this old dog NFL veteran guy coming in to to finish out the season for them. But now it's up to this ownership group and um, and George Patton, who runs the the football operations, to figure out what to do. Like, what who who do we hire to be the next head coach? And and maybe even more importantly, what to do about Russell Wilson and his two hundred and fifty million dollar contract that they signed before the season that uh, looks worse and worse. I know. I was just thinking when you were sort of talking about the uh, quarterback for the Rams. Baker Mayfield, great name, by the way. Terrific. Um, I bet he didn't cost. No. <laughs> I bet he didn't cost them. A no. Two hundred fifty million. No, that's a good point. That's a good point. He, he probably is playing for cheap. I will definitely have deeper analysis on what this all means for Denver, but I think in general, it looks like. Can we have a do-over? <laughs> can we start just clean can house? We start this over because we had a yeah, we had high hopes and yeah, interesting though. Interesting stuff. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I would like to take this moment to say the Nuggets are crushing it. So again, I will uh, offer up if the Broncos make you sad, go watch the Nuggets. We have a great team right now. Now's the time. Aaron Gordon is so fun to watch. I saw the video of that dunk on Christmas Day. Oh my God. I didn't want to bring it up. It's because it's kind of salacious, the dunk, because 
Aaron Gordon, like, I don't remember who they were playing. He he does this, like, Superman, one of those moments where you're like, how are basketball players human beings? Because he just, like, flies through the air. Gordon! Oh, oh my goodness! Oh! But he, like, hits the dude who's trying to block him in the face with his junk. And then he, <laughs> and then he falls on top of him. He's just like, oops. Sorry, <laughs> it's, it's <laughs> so worth a watch. You can you can search Aaron Gordon dunk and it will come up. Um, also, Jokic is looking like possibly a three peat, um, third time MVP if we're lucky. So I don't know. I, I I will again advocate the the Nuggets are fun to watch. They're a great team. Michael Malone is a wonderful coach. He has this like really nice dad like dad vibe energy where he's like i want you to do good i'm disappointed sometimes but i still love you like that's his vibe Mm -hmm. and i really appreciate that in the coach do you think they got a a chance to make a run this year yeah absolutely another mvp trophy would be nice but let's talk about a championship is it possible yes they're number one in the western conference right now i think they could absolutely (laughs) Jokic runs circles around everybody jamal murray's back i mean good stuff good stuff to watch All right, so let's switch gears here for a second to a story that has been developing slowly over the last month or so. I have to admit, I I didn't really have my eyes on this one, but now it seems like kind of a big deal. Bree, can you explain what's happening with with all these migrants, like busloads of migrants arriving in Denver? Yeah, I mean, I think you kind of hit it on the head here, Paul, which is what we've been watching this slowly unfold. And it still, honestly, it feels like there's still a piece of this story missing that we don't know Hmm. um, or that is not being reported. So back in December, early December, uh, hundreds of folks started showing up. we learned now that there a lot of them are coming. They're coming from Venezuela. I know some of them have been traveling, so they may not be Venezuelans, but they're definitely coming from Venezuela. Okay, uh, thousands of folks have shown up in Denver. At this point, over three thousand five hundred people have showed up in Denver wow. since December 9th. That's a lot of people. And so the city sort of sprang into action, like emergency. We need emergency shelter. We need translators. We need service navigation, food, f- clothes. I mean, all these basic things turned uh, several rec centers into sort of temporary shelters. We're now like a month into this. I saw they opened the Coliseum up like they did during the pandemic. Right, right. So it's 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 continuing to be a pressure on Colorado for sure. Um, we don't get federal funding for um, services like this because we don't, we're not a border town. So we generally just don't have support from... Mm-hmm from the federal government on this. So the city's been trying to deal with it. The state has also been trying to deal with it. Um, And I thought it was really interesting. Um, Axios recently reported that Governor Polis is busing some of these folks to other major cities like New York and Chicago. And I I think the criticism here is um, Republican governors like uh, uh, Abbott in Texas and Ron DeSantis in Florida also did something similar last year that people were very critical of. Um, yeah, I remember it was like big publicity stunts at yeah. the time. That's kind of what I assumed was happening with the the migrants coming here. I thought it was they were coming from Florida or Texas. Um, that's obviously not the case, but now Polis is doing that? Yeah, and I, I mean, I'm not going to excuse him or say it's like not just as bad, but I, he's not, 
I don't he's not doing it as a publicity stunt. These folks are showing up here and I think he probably doesn't really know what else to do. Um, the strain on our shelter system in general is already pretty tough. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I can speak to that. The just in, as as a sense of uh, the scale of of the issue of like the demand for these services. Um, the last point in time survey, which is the count of uh, our unhoused population every year around Christmas time, the last one, the data showed that there was about six thousand people living unhoused on the streets of Denver. So if we're getting thirty five hundred migrants who are now, you know, using these same services and using some of these same facilities. That's a huge strain. It's a huge strain on this system that's already, you know, pushed pushed to the brink. That's what some advocates for unhoused folks are saying or or people that work within these systems is like, "Hey man, we already have limited resources to help our unhoused neighbors that live here already." So adding 3,500 more people is just a lot in a limited amount of time. And when we talk about resources, I think it's important to say, okay, the government is also, the state government's also projecting, or Colorado's projecting that this is going to cost us about $3 million. But if we think about the other resources, like the human beings needed to navigate these situations, the translators, the caseworkers, the folks that just run the shelters, that's the kind of burden I think that's been hard is the city's trying to hire people in this moment while also trying to deal with everything else. So that said, I think the city has done a pretty good job. I think Hancock has done a good job. Hancock recently wrote a letter to the archdiocese who oversees the Catholic church to say, Hey, can you guys help us out? Like, I know you've got a facility on the north side, Little Sisters of the Poor Building. Maybe we could put some folks in there. Like the city's trying. Yeah, he's clearly paying attention. Yeah, but the controversy is now like, what is Polis doing here? And I I thought this quote um, from Denverite was really interesting. Uh, They talked to a gentleman who was staying at one of these rec center shelters, and he said that word has spread that Denver is a safe place to go. So migrants like him have arrived in El Paso and then set their sights north. So again, this is where it's just cloudy. Like what, how are, how are folks here? What, what is this push? If it's not, you know, a Republican governor sending folks this way, what's really going on? And I think that's what we're going to be watching to, um, just seeing what happens. Yeah, the, re- the response from our elected leaders is definitely something we're going to be paying attention to. But Bri, I think what a lot of people want to know right now is how can they help? Yeah. So we'll put a link in the show notes to where you can donate, um, where if you've maybe got some time, you could volunteer. Also, again, the city is still hiring folks. So if you're looking for a job, this might be something. Um, bilingual people are also in special demand for this, uh, Spanish-speaking people. So mm-hmm. yeah, we'll keep an eye on it. Well, Paul, I have to say this story does not surprise me whatsoever, but I would love for you to give us the lowdown on what is going on with the Suncor oil refinery and the EPA. Well, this kind of this one is also sort of connected to the the cold snap that we had, those extreme low temperatures last week. Although there's a few reasons why Suncor has been in the news, and that's just one of them. Um, the weather sparked uh, an issue at the the refinery in Commerce City, you know, the big refinery that we're always talking about with air quality issues in that in that neighborhood. Yes. So Suncor announced on uh, the 28th of December that that refinery had to close due to the extreme and record-setting weather. Um, they didn't mention in their announcement that there had been a couple of fires at the facility. We don't know if they were in connection to the weather, but there was one on December 24th that actually injured two workers. Um, and unfortunately, <gasps> oh no. they're going to have to close for like 
three, maybe three months, maybe more. Um, they said the end of quarter one. So that's like March, April ish. Um, and that's a big deal because I didn't realize this, but that refinery supplies as much as 40% of the gasoline used by drivers in the Denver metro area, according to the Denver Business Journal. So this is going to have like a pretty significant impact on the price of fuel at a time when, you know, everybody's already paying out the wazoo for to heat their yeah. homes and to, you know, power their cars and everything else we need this stuff for. I just want to say, I don't want to say like, uh, is there a bright side to this? But I do wonder if something like the the pandemic effect on our transit, if something like that could happen where folks are forced to change their behaviors, like could this push us into a new era of uh, transit when we talk about single car drivers and like, I don't know. I, I don't want to say like, this is a good thing. Are there cheaper ways to... Yeah. yeah. Are there cheaper ways to get around? Also, will this show, I'm sure they'll be monitoring it. I know there are nonprofit groups monitoring it. Will this show an improvement in our air quality when we don't have this refinery running yeah. for a couple of months? It's giving us a, a natural experiment there. Yeah. So yeah, it could be interesting what happens. At the same time, you know, curious timing on the exact same day that Suncor announced this shutdown, the EPA actually announced that they, uh, they're going to be investigating the, how Colorado regulates these industrial air polluters like Suncor, um, and specifically allegations about discrimination against Hispanic people and other racial minorities. And so this brings up this, this same question again of like air quality versus cost of living. And it's just, it seems like a really difficult problem to figure out. And I know our air regulators have been in the news a lot lately because of the revolving door between the people who work in those offices and people who work in industry. Also, I feel like this is a little bit of deja vu. Didn't Suncor get in trouble not that long ago for... Or maybe no, was it the air quality folks they were regulators, that were measuring? Yeah. yeah, so I don't know. This industry, I feel like this industry has, has been for many decades, but is definitely screaming for a change, mm-hmm. a bigger shift. It's uh, it's another one where I, I'm, I'm left with more questions than answers after these two most recent stories. I'm also curious how this will play out uh, with the mayor's race. Are we going to see more conversations about climate change? Hmm. You know, I mean, I it's, an, it's an ongoing issue. I, I don't know if it's going to be a big enough issue that folks jump onto it. I know we've got a couple candidates like Ian Thomas DeFoya obviously has done a lot of climate action work. Um, but I don't know. It's just something I'm thinking about going into the new year that is not that far out. Are we going to be talking about uh, quality of life for folks, especially in and around these places? I mean, we're definitely going to be talking about cost of living. We're definitely going to be talking about the price of natural gas and that kind of thing. Yeah. The environment stuff, I don't know. I don't know how much power a mayor has over that. Although I would expect them to be talking about it. Think about our Office of Climate Action and Resiliency, right? I mean, I think they've been doing some really big stuff. Again, we could talk about the e-bike thing. Mm -hmm. That took hold for a reason. People were interested. I don't think it's out of the realm of the mayor's office to make some shifts, even if they're smaller. Uh, I don't know. Just something to think about Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. when we're looking at our our candidates and our options. Definitely. Well, Bree, there was some sad news. Do you want to talk about Joyce Meskis? Yeah, so Joyce Meskis is obviously best known as the owner of the tattered cover for decades, and she passed away over the uh, over the holiday. 
So for a little bit of background, most people are familiar with this, but um, she purchased the tattered cover in 1974 after another gentleman had started it about three years ago, but she transformed it into this nationally known hub for, I mean, it was the book, the book readers bookstore. And it, it, to me, it put Denver on the map in a really interesting way before we were really known as a cool city. We had like a New York level bookstore in the tattered cover. I, I have so many fond memories of the Cherry Creek location. Um, and I've, I've said this before, but I, I'm an avid magazine reader. I'm not as much a book reader. Mm-hmm. And the tattered cover was <laughs> the place. I could get every like British music magazine. I could get every beauty magazine. I just, I remember <laughs> spending hours there reading and spending a lot of money on, you know, like spending all of my babysitting money on magazines <laughs> at the tattered cover. But it, it was such a special place. I mean, it still is a special place. She sold it several years ago. It's changed hands um, since then. But, uh, you know, I, the other thing that Joyce is known for beyond expanding this book empire, also, there's a reason we have an independent bookstore in our airport mm-hmm. um, because of someone like Joyce Maskis. She was also known as sort of um, a supporter of free speech. This went back all the way to the 80s um, when she was a plaintiff um, in a new state law that was going to ban the display of books and magazines that were quote harmful to minors because of sexual content. So she, and she, she did this through the eighties, the nineties, the two thousands. She was a supporter of the ability for folks to buy whatever books they want and the bookstore stay out of that business. Like it's not their business, what you buy. It is up to you and you have the freedom and choice to purchase whatever you would like. And there is, they don't, they didn't, she refused to track it. She refused to um, give information about who her customers were. And yeah, so for being, for being just an independent bookseller, a person that runs a business, she was very politically minded. Yeah. And I thought that made her an interesting figure in Denver. And willing to be unpopular, it sounds like, which I feel like is a real Denver value that that like <laughs> maverick instinct i associate that with this city and that's i appreciate that about people like joyce yeah and i was gonna say maybe that's partially why she did so well here mm. was she had us she had the environment to say this is my opinion and this is how i'm gonna go about it um but overall i think she did wonderful work i think the tattered cover is an institution for a reason and it's because she ran her bookstore as she did for decades and it's still here today, thriving as ever. Well, speaking of downtown, there is one other piece of sad news. I don't know if you saw this. This didn't make like uh, the front page of the Denver Post or anything, but uh, <laughs> I saw online a few days ago that um, the McDonald's on 16th Street Mall they yeah. put up a they put up a sign on the door that said they're closing permanently. Wow. That McDonald's that, I don't know, I've walked past a billion times. I'm sure listeners have too. Bree, do you have much of a relationship with that particular McDonald's? No, it's on the 16th Street Mall. So no, but it is surprising to me whenever a McDonald's closes, right? Like how how do they, aren't they always busy? <laughs> like the one by my house always has a- I mean, That one was such a flashpoint. <laughs> yeah, well, and I think the context here is like, that was a- a McDonald's on the 16th Street Mall. So yeah. that means a lot of things. I don't know. It's a, it's a, it's, it's complicated for me. <laughs> I, feel like. I mean, it's a place that attracts all different kinds of people. I went in there once to 
by a soda or something. And I got to say, it wasn't the most comfortable experience. There was people using it. I mean, it's one of those businesses that kind of operated like a shelter for people experiencing homelessness. Or right. People who didn't really have another place to go. And that meant that, you know, things happened there that weren't always the nicest to be around. Yeah. That's how I feel about it, too. It's a place to charge your phone. It's a place to get out of the elements. It's a place to maybe get a meal for relatively cheap um, in a city that is getting more and more unaffordable. So can't hate on McDonald's for that. I mean, it's a it's a complicated thing to think about this global entity, McDonald's. But at this place, in this time, in this location, it served a lot of purposes. So I assume that that had a lot to do with why they closed, but I also don't know. I assume so too. When I saw this news, I thought like, oh, this is kind of a bellwether for the economic and political situation downtown. Mm. I mean, if you know the the bit famous Big Mac index, like this this way of like looking at uh, purchasing power around the world in different countries is is to look at how much a Big Mac costs. Oh, so I don't know. My, that's where my mind went. Like, there's to take that and apply it to downtown. Like, how downtown must not be doing great if if even McDonald's can't survive <laughs> there anymore. Yeah, that is a really interesting. Uh, barometer of what downtown looks like. A conversation I know we are going to be having a lot in 2023, just as we did in 2022. Absolutely. Well, Paul, this has been so helpful. Thanks for for chatting with me about what our city's been up to. Yeah, thank you, Brie. I appreciate it as well. That's all for today here on CityCast Denver. If you enjoyed the show, why not take a minute to tell Broncos interim head coach Jerry Rossberg about us? Rate the show wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe to our morning newsletter, Hey Denver, by texting Denver to 66866. We'll be back tomorrow morning with more news from around the city. See ya. Okay, I just hit record. I'm rolling. Did you just hit record on a tape player? I thought I heard it beep. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding.